Hey there guys, I hope you're having a wonderful morning, day or night, wherever you may be in the world. My name is Matt Zapala and I am the host of the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast. This week on the podcast, I caught up with plant-based dietitian Jacob McGuinness. Guys, please excuse my croaky voice in the podcast. There was a little too much yelling at the footy the weekend before I recorded this episode, so please excuse that. Anyway, back to Jacob. This man is an absolute wealth of knowledge. He aims to provide you guys with a no BS approach and cold hard facts about plant-based nutrition. Jacob strives to educate and inspire people on the benefits of adopting a plant-based lifestyle and how we can not only survive, but thrive. Jacob has a similar story to me. He fell down a spiral that a typical gym goer does and that's a typical bro science approach to nutrition and training. For a lack of a better term, Jacob was obsessed with nutrition and his training and he was ensuring he was precisely eating enough calories to gain weight just at the detriment of his mental well-being. During this episode, Jacob aims to downplay all the misconceptions that are associated with a plant-based diet and he answers all of the common questions like where do vegans get your protein from and what about your iron and your B12 plus a whole lot more. He explains the role these minerals play in the body and what foods you can find these vitamins and minerals in, particularly from a whole food source. And if supplementation is needed, then that's also an option too. Well, that's enough from me, guys. Over to you, Jacob. Enjoy the show, folks. Jacob McGuinness, welcome to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast, mate. Awesome to have you on today. No worries. Thank you very much for having me on. Dude, I've listened to your podcast with Amy Giannotti, who I interviewed on the podcast maybe episode 10, I think it was. Story is awesome. I thought we have to connect because we have a similar story. Just to for the listeners at home, you are a dietitian, a personal trainer, and you're doing amazing things in the holistic health and wellness space, particularly with nutrition. But I want to know what life was like for you growing up before you got down this health and wellness space. Uh, well, my childhood life was basically me living by the beach. I lived in a town called Kiama, which is like a little uh, sort of surf town, south coast of uh, New South Wales, just about an hour and a half south of Sydney. My childhood was me, you know, riding my bike around to the shops, playing heaps of basketball, heaps of sport with my with my friends. Um, you know, I grew up with my three sisters and mum and dad. I had a good, good family upbringing. My mum was an, a nurse, so I had a little bit of sort of health coming into my life through her, she, you know, she made us eat vegetables and all of that and always encouraged uh, sport and activity and would pay for any sort of sporting uh, endeavours even up until, you know, until I was going through uni and stuff, she still would uh, help me out with the gym or that sort of thing, just as a way of encouraging us to be healthy. Um, and I guess like before, before getting into nutrition and health, like my main interests were literally just playing playing basketball and uh, you know hanging out with my friends we used to film stupid videos and stuff together and you know was never really too focused by too focused on food or what I ate I'll just you know eat healthy food at home go down the shops I'd eat some hot chips or whatever and was never really conscious of it until later on into my teenage years and early 20s. Yeah, awesome dude. So you lived a, a quite active lifestyle and obviously had the education to, to know that vegetables were healthy and then when you were out with your mates you really didn't care what you were eating. Yeah. What sort of sparked your 
your interest in learning more about nutrition and, and learning about the role it plays in your body? Um, when I was about 16, I started, you know, I'd probably fully developed height-wise. I was about, you know, six foot, six foot one. Um, and just through being very active and I guess not really um, paying too much attention to my food, I was a very, very thin build. I was about, you know, low 60 kilos. So I was quite a lanky um, person and I was very interested in uh, going to the gym and putting muscle on, um, getting jacked, as people <laughs> say. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, my, me and my other friends started up at the gym. You know, I started getting some comments from, like, girls and stuff saying they were jealous about how skinny I was and, um, you know, just started being a bit more self-conscious of the way I looked. And, um, you know, I guess seeing seeing other people on social media or on TV and the news with these Hollywood stars with their big ripped bodies and I was like, oh, that's what that's what girls are interested in. That's that's what I need to look like. So how do I do that? So I started going to the gym at about uh, 16, just going a few days a week with my friend. I was still playing heaps of basketball. And um, also I was big into like sort of sciences, chemistry, um, physics and all that sort of thing. And we did a topic on, on food science, um, like one of our subjects that we looked at. So I got kind of interested in that sort of scientific aspect and also just in my own research I got very into you know what should I be eating to support my goals what should I how should I be training all of this sort of stuff and um it did take me a while for to actually start seeing any sort of results in the gym before I you know learned about what calories were and what protein was and what an actual daily intake should have been for my activity levels and that sort of thing so you know once I started seeing results I was you know kind of hooked on the uh on the uh, whole premise of bodybuilding and um, physique development, I guess you could call it, but um, that interest sort of never really died. Um, I was still very interested in nutrition and uh, uh, exercise and fitness and performance and not not necessarily, you know, uh, body composition unless that's somebody's goals, but, you know, it's not really, it's a different sort of realm to health, body composition. I mean, um, you don't have to look like a, a supermodel to be healthy. Um, so I guess that's kind of where I've sort of shifted. But yeah, earlier, my first interest was from purely getting myself more muscular. Yeah, definitely, dude. And I um, I can definitely relate to you. I'm on the other side of the spectrum. I was quite overweight as a teenager and I was researching ways to, to lose weight because that's what girls wanted, really. They yeah. wanted exactly what you said before, the muscular dude that you see on the magazines and on TV. I want to know... With all the conflicting evidence out there on the internet, like there's in this industry, there's so much yelling and screaming, and no one really works together to come to a common goal. Where did you start with with what you were researching, and what was the first bit of information? Um, <laughs> I think my my friend went to a boarding school in Sydney, went to Scots College, and he was in the the rowing um, squad or whatever, and they had um, you know coaches, and all the boys there were. Uh, you know, giving him advice and I was getting training plan off him and then he would share me, oh, I can't remember the name of this guy that had this thing with my, might have been Mark Rupert or something, but um, just basically this um, hard gainers uh, guide to eating and it was like, you know, just those those classic bodybuilding foods, you know, fish, eggs, chicken, rice, broccoli, um, all of these sort of stock standard items and I was just, that was my sort of first um approach was, you know, eating as much of these foods as I can and then uh, seeing if I could progress that way and it kind of kind of worked but 
still my I wasn't really able to eat enough to gain weight, but that was my first sort of it was very bro science. Um, yeah. You know, eat these foods. These are the kind of meals you should have. And um, yeah, that was my first nutrition advice that yeah. I got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome, dude. And I love the word you said before, bro science, because as soon as you you go into a gym, there is all these bros giving you nutritional yeah. advice, and it has no no idea to health or longevity or anything like that. It's all about looking big or trying to gain that extra muscle, getting enough protein for starters, yeah. which I know we're going to dive into protein later on, yeah. but. I know personally that created a really unhealthy relationship with food for me. I started looking at foods I couldn't have and being really restrictive with what I was eating and, and like started labeling foods good and bad. And I know you're on a similar, similar journey to me. Would you be able to dive into that for the listeners? Um, yeah, I guess cause, because I was a lot of my struggles were gaining weight, I didn't have the exact struggles that somebody coming from the other side might um, have where I was really restricting and... Uh, avoiding foods, I did get, I did, you know, I was worried about every meal being, you know, contributing to my goals. So was this, was this meal, did this meal have enough protein and all of this sort of stuff? But I wasn't, I wasn't really fearing foods. I was labeling foods, you know, good and bad for, for my, um, you know, my goals, but I didn't have this um, fear around food until a few years into it when I um, got more in involved in like you know if it fits your macros and this sort of thing and um when the numbers got involved it was um it it became like a bit obsessive and i i experienced a lot of stress and anxiety around trying to hit my macros a lot of stress and anxiety around you know eating out social occasions if i was going to eat at home you know what how was my mum cooking it i'd ask you know what she was putting in it um i started cooking a lot more of my own food because um i wanted to make sure that they were you know, more ideal macros. Um, and that's where my main unhealthy relationship came was because my fixation on my food, even though it wasn't necessarily um, certain foods that were good and bad, it was the whole diet that had to be spot on to for me to feel comfortable, I guess, or like confident that I was building goals. And it, it got really, um, got to a point where my anxieties around food were impacting my appetite and I had all these um, like a few episodes where my anxiety was so bad around food that I couldn't I couldn't barely could barely eat there was like some days where I could like hardly have you know like a thousand calories was a struggle for me so I started losing all this weight and that was like made it even worse because I was losing all this weight that I'd like tried so hard to put on and it was just got really sort of toxic and was really affecting my mental health and my social my social life and all that sort of thing yeah, for sure, man. And I know I can definitely relate with the if it fits your macros um, mentality because I went through the same thing and I was on the opposite end of the spectrum, but restrictively eating and, and exactly the same as you worried about what everyone else was cooking. And God help me, if I went out for dinner that night, I would have to research a menu for days and days and days trying to figure out what I can have. And yeah. anyway, just caused a lot of stress that you, that you went through as well. I want to know... For, for firstly, for the listeners at home, can we explain what macronutrients are? Yeah, well, well, macronutrients are you know the macro meaning like large. They're the main nutrients that make up our diet, and they're the nutrients that provide our body uh, with energy. They also do a lot of other things, but they're the macronutrients that um, are for ones helping our body are fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. Um, we need all three of them. They also have different roles. Uh, alcohol is technically a macronutrient as well. It doesn't really provide any use to the body. Um, it's apart from the you know 
social benefits of it, I guess, but it, it doesn't do anything good for you. Um, but yeah, so fat, protein, and carbohydrate are the macronutrients. Yeah, awesome. And then what was next on that journey? So you you were spiraling through this relationship of, of un, an unhealthy relationship yeah. with food, for lack of a better term. And, and what was sort of the realization that you've gone too far and, you, and you've you know, you need to make a change? Uh, I, I kind of knew as it was happening, I wanted I wanted to be able to enjoy my social life. I had a lot of friends that didn't, you know, share the same fitness endeavors as me. I had a lot of friends that were just, you know, going through uni and enjoying, you know, going out on the weekends or catching up together and going out for meals. And I wanted all these things that my friends were having. So I, I knew that I was torn between these two worlds and it was very, it took me a while to um, sort of find balance but um, you know, I, I did like I, I did a bit of uh, research into mindfulness and all of these sorts of things to manage my anxiety. And then um, I kind of just towards the end of university, I just sort of managed to begin to let go of of those uh, you know of my training program, let go of my macros, and just start eating more intuitively. So it was kind of there was never really a turning point. It was a long period of knowing I was in trouble and then trying to just manage my way through it. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise, dude. And were you studying dietetics at this stage? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It was all during my degree. Yeah. So how did you go when you were combating combating the bro science sort of diet, and then learning something completely different at uni? Like, yeah. Me. That's that's like uh, that was only during the early the early years when um I was looking into those bro science like through high school and starting to uni, and then um you know early early through university, I found some more. I guess evidence-based um, fitness and science. I don't know if you know people like Eric Helms or um, Matt Ogus was the channel I found them through. But these sort of natural bodybuilding guys that really looked at scientific evidence and um, took a more evidence-based approach. And that's that's a sort of I guess how I got into mac, mac, tracking my macros and all that sort of thing. And um, it has definitely helped play a role in my you know my evaluation of evidence and being able to look at evidence and relying on evidence to make recommendations in training and, and um, nutrition. Uh, it's just they're, they're very fixated on on body composition, bodybuilding. They're not health-focused recommendations, really. Yeah, so. Definitely. And I think um, well, we'll get into that later on, but the moment where, where I started focusing on more health and, and started trying to nourish my body from the inside was when I started to see those physical physical results because yeah. that's a byproduct of being healthy isn't yeah, it exactly. yeah exactly yeah awesome dude and then along this journey of well, the unhealthy relationship with food how was your training regime was that also an unhealthy relationship with exercise what was happening there I never I never got in too much into um, you know like the punishment exercise and some of these things that people who are um, trying to lose lose weight or lose fat um sometimes get involved in like I never exercise was always to build my body and to to get stronger and to get um you know to get better so I was I didn't get into this um sort of excessive exercise but I was very I guess diligent and controlled with my training program where it would impact my my social life where you know I wouldn't want to go I wouldn't want to go to you know a party or something or, you know, a social gathering because I had to train that night or I had to train the next morning and I was worried about not being able to get enough rest or my nutrition in key. So I did, I was very sort of controlled and um, strict, I guess you could say, with my training. It was very structured, my training program, and I was very aware of if I was, you know, getting stronger and, you know, progressively overloading, 
if, if if that wasn't going well, it would just trigger the <laughs> trigger the sort of anxiety and stress in that sort of regard. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And it's really awesome to hear the other side of the spectrum as well, Jacob, because a, a lot of people, when you often hear people saying, "Oh, well, you don't need to worry about what you're eating because like you're really skinny. Like, what yeah. does it matter to you?" And and then it's really cool hearing the other side of the story that you can still have an unhealthy relationship with food and training, even though you don't not got weight loss goals yeah 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 exactly there's a different different side to the story here yeah definitely dude and talk to us a little bit about your transition to a plant-based diet what sort of sparked that interest um so my plant-based diet my i began to eat plant-based um about a bit over a year ago basically when i first moved uh, out of home and into melbourne um when i was uh, you know totally in control of everything i i bought and ate i could you know be a bit more conscious of my food choices. Where living at home, I just ate a lot of what my parents were having or my mum was cooking. So, um, you know, moving into this this northern suburbs of Melbourne was kind of vegetarian focused. I had a few, quite a few vegetarian friends, um, and then they were kind of, you know, we'd talk about um, vegetarian diets sometimes because I'm obviously interested in the nutrition point of view. And I would always, you know, question like, were they eating enough protein? Were they getting all these sort of nutrients that people talk about? Um, never really looking too much into myself, even as a dietitian, I can tell you exactly where I get protein from now, but it was just a different, different realm that was just different, wasn't even on my radar really. Um, but the main things that sparked it were an interest in, uh, you know, the environment and, uh, climate change. And I watched uh, a couple of documentaries around that one being before the flood, which isn't really focused on food at all, has a small part at the end and then Cowspiracy. And I know that some of these statistics are uh, kind of targeted in America and there might not be uh, true reflections of what's happening around the world, but there's definitely a massive impact of our food system and the, the agricultural systems we use and their impacts on you know greenhouse gas emissions, deforestation and all of these sorts of things that um, I guess with my main drivers, you know, after traveling the world and seeing what a beautiful place, um, you know, we have here on earth, it just kind of felt wrong to be, uh, ignorantly contributing to the destruction of it. Yeah. So yeah. that was my main thing. It wasn't really health focused at all. Like that came like, obviously I, I can eat a bit healthier now because I eat a lot more plant-based foods. Um, but yeah, it wasn't really a driver for me to eat plant-based in order to improve my health. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome dude. And I was listening to, to one of my mates talk and he was, he's a vegan as well. And he was saying that you, you go plant-based for one of three reasons mm. and you end up getting all the three reasons anyway based on education and, and everything is a follow-on effect. So yeah. if you're going going plant-based for health reasons, then you're going to help the environment naturally. Yeah. You're gonna, clearly obviously going to help your health and you're going to help the animal agricultural sort of side of things yeah. as well, the ethical side of things and vice versa if you're doing the other options. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see different reasons why people tr- transition into a plant-based diet. And when you first started looking into this realm, what was what were the foods you were consuming, and did you sort of take that mentality that you had before about a bro science diet into that? Or um, it was kind of like I, I looked at I look I still look at foods as nutrients. I can like look at a food and as you know a source of my nutrition. Like what what am I going to get out of this food? So when I started um, taking out you know meats and um, you know dairy and these animal products from my diet. I was swapping them out for, uh, you know, nutrition equivalents from the plant, the plant world. So my, you know, meat was being replaced by legumes. Um, I was still trying to eat um, a reasonable amount of protein, 
so I was eating a lot of legumes and a lot of um, tofu and these sorts of high-protein plant foods. And with these foods came uh, a lot of fiber as well, which was a big adjustment for my body and my digestive system, eating from, you know, 30 grams of fiber up to, you know, 70, 80, 100 grams of fiber some days when I was eating a large amount of food. So that was like my first introduction, which will be a bit too high in, in uh, you know, legumes and beans, especially for adapting my body to it. But yeah, so I was still eating quite similarly. I just swapped I just swapped the protein sources. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And your mentality was was changed by that stage as opposed to before when you were counting calories and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of a that that I've sort of stopped caring about that as much before I even went into plant based. It had been maybe a, a year or two when I was much more relaxed with my eating, much more relaxed with my training. Um, I still trained and ate to support my goals, but it was never this. I didn't care if I missed days training. I didn't care if I had to go out to eat. Or I didn't care if you know there was some junk food that was being consumed that wouldn't bother me that much. Um, so yeah, it was still like when I transitioned, I'd already sort of moved past those strict food rules and all of that. Yeah, fantastic, dude. That's that's great to see. And um, personally, transitioning to a plant based diet helped my restrictive eating and helped yeah, me understand yeah. that. That I can like, I can eat more and not gain weight, and like these foods contain you know that much, whereas I could have eaten you know that much before, and it just re- really solved all the the mental battles that I had with food. Now, since moving to a plant based diet, how has your your mindset changed about food and your training, and what's your what's the benefits of it that you've experienced? I guess I haven't. I've, I've sort of trained changed my um, training goals and stuff a lot over the past year, I did spend, um, you know, about the first nine months on a plant-based diet, I was still, um, sort of bodybuilding style training and I still, I still made, I was still getting stronger. I was still getting, um, you know, I made some muscle gains in, in areas that I was working on. So it didn't, uh, you know, I didn't, a lot of people will say they experienced great benefits. I, I didn't, I wouldn't really say I experienced tremendous benefits straight away, but I did, continue to progress and then now that I'm I'm training a lot differently now I do a lot of rock climbing and bouldering so it's different different ball game but you know my, my nutrition is still supporting my goals I'm still recovering and progressing just as I would if I had other sources of protein in my diet yeah, yeah cool so you're clearly not deficient and yeah. you're looking healthy as man yeah. <laughs> thank you so it's Putting out all those misconceptions about yeah. vegans aren't healthy or plant-based people, people that eat a plant-based diet aren't thriving when you're clearly thriving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome, dude. Now, I love everything that you're doing with the plant potential, trying to spread the word about plant-based nutrition and how it can benefit someone's life. And before we dive into everything about that, while we're on the topic of plant-based nutrition, what are some misconceptions that you you have seen through your time practicing as a, as a dietitian and about this whole yeah. plant-based movement. It is, it's funny, um, as a dietitian, I have a lot of people who, you know, I'm, I'm active, very active online on um, some fe- um, vegan Facebook groups and through my Instagram, I'm quite active and often interact with people on the other end of the spectrum, either from a keto or carnivore, <laughs> carnivore spectrum and, you know, the, the, the nutrients they bring up. That every every nutrient can be obtained on a plant based diet. People will throw you know they throw everything at me. They say protein. They say oh, even if you can eat enough protein, it's low quality. Like the amino acids not the same. 
all of this all of this stuff about protein i'm so sick of it like, <laughs> like nobody nobody like these people don't have don't have um a true understanding of nutrition they're coming from you know a couple of articles they've read online and they just hear things and they spit it back out at you and then you know i hear a new nutrient every day that that can't be attained on a, on a plant-based diet and then i that's why i post so much about it like, that's all i do is show how you can get every nutrient from plants um Obviously, you need to supplement B12 because it's not found you know, abundantly in our food supply. Um, but that's, that's that's it, really. You know. Yeah, definitely, dude. And on this topic of protein, where can people on a plant-based diet get, get their sources of protein from? And what do you currently have that, that yeah. gets you your protein? Yeah, uh, legumes like kidney beans, chickpeas, lentils, um, nuts and seeds protein uh whole grains like quinoa oats brown rice like protein comes from all all foods all plant foods uh you know have some protein some are higher than others but they all contribute to your protein intake and what our protein needs are not that high people think you need to consume you know kilogram of meat a day or whatever in order to build muscle and there's nothing there's nothing like that in the research that supports that um I have a lot of uh, tofu and uh, tempeh, and I do have a, a protein supplement, which is just to make it easier. It's not essential. It's just sometimes it's easy just to throw in a, a scoop of protein into a smoothie rather than, you know, have legumes or cook up a, a bit of tofu, you know. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. And I haven't read any articles of someone that's died from protein deficiency. Yeah, so. it's not even a health issue. Either, <laughs> it actually. isn't. It isn't. And I think it's important to recognise for the listeners at home that a food doesn't, a whole food doesn't just contain one macronutrient. It's built up of all these macronutrients, proteins, fat, and um, carbohydrates. Protein, fat, carbohydrate. Got that one right. Mm-hmm. I had a brain fade for a second. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not just getting one macronutrient from one yeah. type of food. You're getting all these abundance of other nutrients as well as that. So when you're when you're trying to ask those questions about where do you get your protein from, I think I think that's uh, out of the water, don't you think? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very like limited understanding of nutrition. If that's your first question, definitely. Do. Which is fine. Some people don't know about nutrition, but when somebody acts like they do, or they're trying to pick apart your your um you know philosophies without a nutrition knowledge is just a bit frustrating 100 <laughs> percent nail on the head and then going into some more other some other misconceptions about like vitamins and minerals so what are some what are the role that these the following least play in your body and, and should they be supplemented and what are some food sources yeah, that come so yeah. we'll start off with iron first of all yeah, yeah. What, what's the role that that plays so, and should it be supplemented um iron is plays a role in uh, you know forming our red blood cells and inadequate iron can lead to anemia which is low iron low low um, blood count and people will experience fatigue and headaches and all these sorts of things and it's it's not necessarily a misconception in the fact that it it can sometimes be harder to get as much iron from a plant-based diet because of the um, you know the sources of iron might be a little bit a little bit less concentrated and the type of iron that's in plants is um, different to the type of uh, iron that's found in, in meat and animal products. You know, being uh, in meat, it's the heme form, which is the form that's already in our body, so it's a bit better converted. Whereas um, plant iron, uh, it's a, we lose a bit in the conversion, but it's still you can still easily obtain it uh, from diet from your diet as long as you're eating a lot of iron-rich foods, which are um, your legumes, uh, tofu and uh, soy, which is just another soybeans are legumes. Just to, just to have to differentiate them because people get so 
uh, afraid of soy. We can talk about that later. Yeah, but, um, definitely. Yeah, so legumes, tofu, uh, whole grains, you know, quinoa, uh, oats, brown rice are all good sources of iron as well. Uh, seeds, pumpkin seeds are a really rich source of uh, iron, and then uh, leafy greens, you know, bok choy, spinach, even broccoli. And then some other ways that we can improve the absorption of iron is to have them with vitamin C coming from, you know, maybe a bit of orange juice or just having some kind of vitamin C rich vegetable in, in, a, in a meal, a capsicum. This vitamin C just helps the absorption. And also not having the iron rich foods with coffee or tea due to the, I think it's the tannins in the tea that block the absorption a little bit. So that's not a strict hard and fast rule. If you have good iron, you can still enjoy your coffee. If you are having avocado on toast, you can still have a coffee yeah. with it. Like you don't have to be that strict about it. But if you know if you struggle if you struggle with your iron, maybe that's something you can do. Spacing that out about an hour either side. And supplementation wise, um, supplements do play a role in somebody who has low iron. So I always you know I encourage people to get their iron checked, uh, especially if they're female or like endurance athletes or people that might have uh, more prone to low iron. Getting their blood tests done, you know, annually or every six months even if they're prone to it. And then obviously uh, supplements can help bring those levels back up and then they can be sustained with with um, iron-rich foods. Yeah, fantastic. Hit the nail on the head there, dude. And um, another one that goes with iron is B12. I know there's a lot, a lot of talk about B12 and, and yeah. the sources that it comes from from plant foods and that all vegans are deficient in B12. Can you talk about that, the role that it plays and yeah. the sources? Yeah, so... Um, B12 as well can, inadequate B12 can lead to anemia as well because B12 plays a role in uh, blood cell formation as well. And it also has a role in the uh, formation of the, the myelin sheath, which is like the insulation around our nerve fibers. So inadequate B12 can cause neural uh, problems. Um, now, B12 is actually formed by bacteria. Not They're not actually formed by animals themselves that we eat. It's formed by these bacteria that are abundant in the the grass and things that animals eat and it ends up in their tissues that way. So back in the day when people used to eat, you know, their vegetables with dirt and stuff on them, they probably got their B12 that way. And, um, you know, there are still some very low uh, amounts of B12 in plant foods, but to be to be sure and safe that it's adequate, it's best to include either fortified foods, like fortified nutritional yeast, fortified plant milks, um, and a lot, of B, a lot of soy milks will be fortified with B12, but that's another place you can get it. Or just having a B12 supplement. It's not it's not very expensive, and just take a, you don't even have to take it every day. If you get ones that are a bit higher dose, you can just take it a few times a week, and just just to be safe. Like there's no there's no harm in supplementation. There's no harm in um, well there can be, but not with B12. B12 won't affect the absorption of other nutrients, so it's okay to just have a B12 supplement. Yeah, awesome, yeah. dude. And then will people will counteract that argument. But if I want to go to a whole foods plant-based diet, I don't want to have to supplement. But I was reading journal articles the other day, a majority of the popula population is actually deficient in B12. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just strictly only vegan. So if you're not a vegan out there or plant-based, not on a plant-based journey, can they still have a B12 supplement? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it, because um, B12 is, when we get it, when people get it from animal products, it's attached to the protein. And as you get older, your ability to cleave the B12 off this protein gets limited. So I think it's anyone over 50 is recommended to have a B12 supplement to avoid avoid that deficiency. So it's not just um, for plant-based eaters. And another thing is that um, you know people that eat whole foods tend to get uh, supplementation from from 
fortify foods. Like a lot of our, our breads are fortified. A lot of our food products in our food supply are fortified with nutrients that just aren't naturally abundant in our food supply anymore based on the practices we have. So supplementation isn't, isn't a bad thing. And a lot of people are indirectly supplementing through fortified foods already. Okay. People that are on, on, on animal based diets or, or the like, it's not a, it's not a strictly vegan issue. Yeah. <laughs> awesome dude. And just to clear it up before we move on, fortified foods, are vitamins that have been added to added to food. foods. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cool. Yeah. Awesome dude. On to the next one, calcium. So what role does that play the sources and should it be supplemented? Yeah. So calcium, uh, plays a role in our bone health, maintaining our, our bone along with vitamin D. They kind of work hand in hand to maintain our, our bone mass as as we go through life. Um, so calcium is an issue that a, a lot of people that I work with and a lot of people in the vegan or plant-based community don't really consider it because it's not something you'll feel straight away. You're not going to feel your bones uh, degrading over yeah. three over three decades. You're not going to feel now that you're going to have um, you know lower bone mass when you're 60. So while dairy is not an essential food group, and you know, it comes along with a lot of saturated fat and some other products that might be harmful for our health, but it is a very rich source of calcium. So when people cut dairy out, they should be looking to get that calcium from somewhere else. So while dairy is not essential, calcium certainly is. So um, you know, the best sources of calcium are calcium fortified uh, plant milks. So just having you know, a cup of plant milk with calcium added, you can check the nutrition panel to make sure it has uh, calcium. The exact amount is about over 100 milligrams per 100 mils if you know how to look at a nutrition panel. Um, but having that fortified plant milk and then also uh, tofu is a really rich source of calcium because of the way that it's made. They use uh, calcium salts to like, kind of bind it together and um, make the product. So it's really high in calcium. And then other sources uh, include um, some like sesame seeds, uh, other legumes uh, have minor sources. Um, but these other sources aren't going to be as good at contributing to your calcium intake as just a bit of plant milk and tofu. So um, a lot of people will uh, probably be eating less than optimal calcium. And whether that causes them problems, it's a it's a story of 40 years wait and see. Why don't you just increase your calcium intake <laughs> now rather than... It's, you can't do a blood test to check your bone health. Like You have to do DEXA scans and body scans and it takes decades to... Yeah. yeah, yeah, excellent, dude. And where do you get your calcium from? What are some specific brands that are fortified with? with uh, I get it from soy milk. is one of my, my main um, sources. I have soy milk in my smoothies or in a bowl of oats, um, and and so that I, most just Woolworths brands or Vita Soy. Uh, the only thing is a Bon Soy, while being you know one of the tastier soy milks that's really good in coffee and stuff as well it, it's not fortified so it has quite a low amount of calcium in it so you know looking for one most big brands tend to be uh, fortified so you know Vitasoy, Woolworths brand, Coles brand, Aldi brand uh, and then uh, tofu as well from the, from the supermarket I just get the Aldi so I'm an Aldi boy I do a lot of I do shop at the market down the road sometimes but um, most of my like sort of other items I get from Aldi yeah um so yeah, Aldi brand, Woolworths brand, they'll, they tend to be, the main brands tend to be fortified or have the calcium in them from the calcium themselves. Definitely, dude. And the on this Aldi note, the Aldi tofu is exceptional. I'm an Aldi man myself yeah, as well. Absolutely. I love it. <laughs> Completely <laughs> addicted to it. <laughs> Fantastic, dude. Thanks for clearing that up. Now, yeah. I know there's a lot of controversy about omega, omega-3s. Yeah. What role do they play in their body and where can we get them from? Uh, Omega-3s. There's a, a lot of research supporting the benefits of omega-3s for a range of uh, health issues, uh, including, you know, our 
our just our cardiovascular health and our um, you know risk of risk of heart disease. Um, they also play a role in uh, mental health, and there's some studies that link omega-3 consumption with depression and or, you know the lack of omega-3s with depression and uh, mental health issues, and also cognitive decline as you get older. Um, so omega-3s tend tend to be sourced from from uh, fish is where you know they're most abundant fish and uh, seafood. That's just because of the, the the algae they eat in the ocean is where they source omega three from, and they end up getting a lot of omega three in their in their body in their fat stores, and that's how we typically consume them in our food supply. But there are tons of omega threes that are available in the plant world. Uh, flax seeds or linseeds, that's what they're commonly referred to in Australia, are a really rich source. You can also get them from uh, walnuts and then other seeds like hemp and chia. Um, so they're things that I include in my diet. Uh, nearly every day, I have flax seeds in my morning smoothies, or in a bowl of oatmeal, or just toss them in a in a salad or soup or anything. You can just chuck them in. Um, it it can help to also uh, just have a, a mealed seed, and you don't have to buy them mealed. It just means to break them down so that the um, the shells of the seeds are open, and you can absorb the nutrients better. You can also just buy them in whole seed form, put them in a Nutribullet or blender, and just split them, and that'll crack the seeds open and make sure you get all that goodness out of them. So yeah, and you can you can also get a supplement because um, because of the type of omega-3 that's in plants compared to the type that's in um, seafood, the plant version is called ALA and the EPA and DHA are the ones found in, in the fish world. Um, the conversion of ALA is a bit less than EPA and DHA, so you might not be able to get as many of as much of that. And there, there isn't a lot of evidence to say that a supplement is necessary. I've read a, a review that says, you know, there's no clear evidence at this stage, but it might be beneficial for someone with higher needs, such as like pregnant or lactating women or older people that might lose that bit of conversion. There might be benefit. Um, but if somebody wants to take one just to be, just to be safe and make sure their omega-3s are, uh, you know, well looked after, they can. It's just a bit expensive to get an algae-based supplement. So, you know, they're not essential. If you if you can't afford it, don't worry too much. Just try to get some flax seeds, cheese seeds into you and some walnuts. And yeah. how many tablespoons or teaspoons of those seeds, if someone's looking to go down that yeah. route uh, per day, do you need? Yeah, probably just a tablespoon of, of flax and chia combined should be enough. And then um, some maybe like a handful, a small handful of walnuts as a snack during the day will provide plenty of ALA. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome, dude. And uh, this isn't a one uh, mineral that a lot of people don't know about, and, and that's iodine. And I know that you can get different iodized salts and stuff like that. So what, yeah. what role does iodine play in the body and, and the sources that you get them from? So iodine plays a role in our, our thyroid health, in, in the um, role of our thyroid gland, and um, that controls you know a lot of things in our body from our like, immune system, our metabolism, all of these things kind of are directed by the thyroid gland. So, you know, inadequate, thi- inadequate iodine can cause thyroid problems or be linked to thyroid problems. So it is uh, kind of hard to find in our, our diet. It is typically uh, sourced from, from seafood, but it is easily uh, obtained from iodized salt. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of breads and cereals will be fortified with iodized salt. I think it's mandatory to do that in Australia. Um, but you can also get it from from seaweed, nori sheets, and that sort of thing. But some of the the research I've seen shows that the the iodine content of those uh, seafood products, those seaweeds and nori and um, all those different 
different variations of seaweed. The the content can range from you know providing 10% of your daily intake to 2,000%. So you may be getting inadequate consumption, and you may also be getting excess, which can cause a problem. So th these foods are fine to include into your, these foods are fine to include in your diet, as long as they're not your only like source of iodine, and you're not relying on them and having them every day because you might be getting you know excess iodine. So the easiest way is just to cook with iodized salt, you're cooking whatever, a soup or a curry or whatever, just putting a, a little like quarter teaspoon of iodized salt in there will provide most of your daily intake. So it's pretty easy fix. It's just a matter of uh, having the product in your house and remembering to use it. Yeah, Because a lot of people will fear salt and sodium and be told, you know, not to have too much salt is bad, but um, salt is not really an issue for most people unless you already have sort of blood pressure issues. So it is fine to include, if you, especially if you're eating a, a plant-based diet and you're not getting a lot of processed food in already, you're probably not going to be eating too much sodium anyway, even when you do include that, um, you know, quarter or half teaspoon a day of, of iodized salt. So it's not really much of an issue. I've had some people ask me about that and it's, it's more important to get the iodine than it is to have a bit of salt in diet. Yeah, definitely. And salt definitely enhances the flavor of exactly, things. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so why not include it? Yeah. Um, Thanks for clearing that all up for us, Jagger. There are some of the main ones, guys, that you, you commonly hear when associated with a plant-based diet. Yeah. Now, back into the supplementation form, what do you think that we should be taking, whether we're you know, taking a plant-based approach or not? Um, I guess it does depend on your nutritional needs and your intakes. So most sort of vitamin and mineral supplements will be based on your individual needs. I think most people... Um, could benefit from a B12 supplement, especially if they're not eating a lot of animal products. So that's the only one that I sort of will recommend regardless of someone's situation. They're probably not going to have adequate B12. But then, you know, other things will sort of be based on your situation. So vitamin D is something I commonly recommend people to supplement just because it's um, generally people don't get enough sun exposure in our modern world, um, especially down here in Melbourne during the winter months when it's not very, <laughs> yeah. not very nice to go outside. Um, and people with work office jobs, they just don't get as much uh, sunlight, so it can help to take those through those periods of time when they're not getting as much sun. Uh, and then, yeah, omega-3 if somebody is really diligent about their omega-3 intake. So omega-3, vitamin D, and vitamin B12 are the main ones yeah awesome dude and it's important to add in here guys don't just go taking the supplement because you've heard it on this podcast check your levels first because yeah. in excess of things can cause yeah tip the spectrum too far the other way yeah especially with like things like iron and calcium supplements is because you know taking these supplements might um impact your absorption of other minerals if you're taking an iron supplement it can impact your calcium absorption if you're taking a calcium supplement it can impact your Iron absorption, so it's important to just take supplements that you you need, and just getting you know a doctor's or dietitian's input on what you actually need, because they can, as long as as well as costing money, <laughs> costing unnecessary money, they can also you know possibly cause bad health effects. Yeah, awesome, dude. Now, a big big topic that there's a lot of controversy about, yeah. and that's soy. So. But we always hear that, like, oh, why are you having soy? Soy is bad for you. Soy gives you this. Soy gives you that. Why? Why do people say this? And, and what's the evidence yeah, behind it? I've still got. I've still got that question as to why people say this. Uh, I looked a lot into it. Coming from my bro science background, the first thing I thought about soy was it gave you man boobs. Um, so I looked into it a lot when I first started uh, looking to include a lot more of it. And then looking at the evidence, there's been so much research on soy, and not not 
anything I could find was showing any of these health health effects or even these you know feminizing characteristics in men. There's nothing. All of the research I found, I found this is a pretty good review um, about soy, and it looks at all of the different research on all of these different health um, health problems and health conditions and clinical situations, and it's just only ever beneficial or you know neutral effect. So you know it doesn't affect your hormones. It doesn't affect your hormones, um, whether it be your estrogen if you're a female or your testosterone if you're a male. Uh, it doesn't affect these things. Uh, it probably improves you know your health in the long term and sort of re reducing your risk of certain cancers and um, lifestyle diseases because soy foods, particularly you know unprocessed, try to stick to unprocessed foods, um, they'll be so abundant in all these other nutrients as well that are going to be beneficial. You know fiber and um, proteins in there, and then you know the the fat the fat that's in soy is also really high in omega three. Um, so it's just a really healthy food that is plays such a good role in a, someone on a plant-based diet, especially in providing all those essential nutrients. This fear around it is just really um, causing detriment to people's health. Um, there's only one specific example of where it can um, play a, a negative role in someone's health, uh, or one being if you have a soy allergy, obviously avoid it. It's <laughs> going to be uh, causing, causing mayhem in your body if you're allergic to it. But also, if you um, have a thyroid problem where you take thyroid medication, the soy um, can interact with the medication. So that's and that's not even a case for avoiding soy. It's just a case of managing your medication and and soy consumption. You might have to take your um, you know just taking your medication apart from eating soy, like eating soy a different time of the day, and that should be normally enough to mitigate it. So there's really not much reason to avoid it especially when it's giving you iron, calcium, protein, and all of these beneficial things. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. You hit the nail on the head for us there, Jacob. And yeah. I was just about to ask you what are the benefits that soy does give you, but yeah, you've already reeled them off yeah. for us. So <laughs> thanks for that, mate. Guys, stop stop hating on soy. It's bloody tasty. Yeah, join the, the soy boy bandwagon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Have you tried that um, new plant milk, Happy Soy Boy? I have not, no. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it gives Bon Soy a run for their money, guys. Yeah. So next time you're out, get a Happy Soy Boy latte. <laughs> Now, Jacob, this question I hear a lot as a personal trainer, and um, I'm sure you might too as well, and all this negative energy surrounded around fruit and, and the calories are calorie, fruit has sugar. So what's the difference between eating a piece of fruit or having two teaspoons mm. of sugar in your coffee? Can you explain <laughs> what's going on there? Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I think it's when people just get into this uh, nutrition realm from a macronutrient point of view and ignore the you know thousands of other aspects of food that are in there and I guess they just I guess when it comes when it comes to um, you know reducing uh, reducing fat and weight loss a calorie is a calorie if our body doesn't have enough calories it's going to um, resort to using our fat stores but when it comes to our health there's a lot more to nutrition than just the calories we eat there's a lot more in food and there's a lot more in a banana than there is in two teaspoons of sugar if there's so much um, you know vitamins minerals and uh, fiber in a in a banana that you won't get when you're having sugar from other sources. Fruit is an incredibly important part of our of our of our diet. Uh, it provides not just not just fiber, but all the all the little plant molecules in there, the um, antioxidants and these phytochemicals that play a role in you know likely preventing disease and cancers. It's like why avoid a food that we've always eaten? It's always been considered healthy. It's just all of this, I guess, this sort of fad diet crap that's infiltrated the health and nutrition space that's 
uh, really confusing a lot of people. Definitely. Jacob summed it up for us there perfectly, mate. And you mentioned fibre before. What part, the, what role does fibre play in our diet and why is it so important? Yeah, fibre is very important for our, our, our digestion and our, and our gut health. Fibre is the, the parts of uh, plant foods that aren't um, fully absorbed by our body. So there's a few different types of fibre, but most basically how they, how they work is they either help, help food pass through our digestive system uh, easily or they are absorbed, uh, broken down by the, the gut bacteria in our, in our body and it feeds and nourishes our gut bacteria. And also when it's, when it's nourished, it brings out these other nutrients that we don't normally access from the food otherwise. So the incredibly important part of our diet and typically when someone's eating plant-based, they automatically have a pretty good fiber intake because you know, if they're eating whole plant foods, that's where we get our fiber from. Every plant uh, has fiber in it. It's part of the way that the plant structure is made up. So you know, fruits, vegetables, legumes, nuts, seeds—they all have—they all have fiber in them. So um, as long as you're eating a variety of plant foods, then your fiber intake will be will be great. <laughs> as long as you're not the only issue is, um, you know, if you're drastically increasing your fiber intake, you might experience some some gastrointestinal issues. You might get a bit bloated or um, a bit farty, but that's just that's just due to the gut bacteria breaking down that fiber and releasing some gas and it's not necessarily a bad thing it might just be your stomach's um you know not used to that it might be a bit sensitive if there's you know maybe some ibs issues rolling around there there can be some other things to play around with but fiber is is very good so but if you do have those sorts of ibs issues um you know see a dietitian and they can help you mitigate like help you plan your plant-based diet properly yeah, yeah fantastic and um, I was listening to a podcast the other day and, and we were chatting about, they were, not we were chatting, I wasn't involved in the conversation, <laughs> but <listening, yeah. laughs> they were chatting about the importance of fibre and how when people f first transition from a, a, to a plant-based diet, from an animal-based diet, their fibre increases dramatically and that can have the effects that you said before. So if you're noticing those sorts of symptoms, would you recommend people slowly, gradually increase their yeah, fiber? Yeah, definitely gradually increase. Um, some of the things, because I, I had the same thing, um, some of the things I did were, um, you know, just choosing lower, I didn't I didn't bring animal products back in my diet, but that can be a step for somebody transitioning. They can, you know, replace meat, some of their meat with uh, legumes or some of their meat with lentils uh, over time and gradually build it up that way. I just sort of chose lower, lower fiber plant foods uh, in my diet, instead of a lot of legumes, I went for a bit more um, tofu and soy, which are a bit lower in fiber. And also, I used um, lower fiber, lower fiber grains. So it might sound, you know, like a like bad health advice, but for for me at the time, because of my cal my energy needs, I was uh, consuming a lot of you know pastas and uh, bread. And those sources, I went to white bread and uh, white bread and you know white pasta just during that transition phase to um, you know, mitigate some of that gastrointestinal issues that I had. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a long-term thing. Obviously, you know, whole 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 grain breads and wholemeal pastas are a lot healthy for you in the long term. But if if you do need to reduce your fiber, that can be a, a, a short-term way of um, you know bringing that fiber down while still able to help, especially with an athlete or somebody with a higher calorie need. Um, those foods can play a role in making it a bit easier. Awesome, dude! Fantastic. Thanks for clearing that all up for us. Now, people might be sitting at home and really adamant they want to transition to a plant-based diet and in particular whole foods plant-based diet. What does a balanced whole foods plant-based diet look like to you and how would you structure that? Yeah, um, I guess how 
I approach a whole food plant-based diet is, you know, being most of your diet coming from whole food plants, so unprocessed plants. Um, doesn't have to be 100% you know, whole food plant-based. It could be, you know, 80%, 90%, whatever, whatever you whatever you're comfortable with. I don't think people necessarily have to be 100% or the other. Um, but these foods are the are the key to our health. So, including more of all of the plant foods, there's a wide variety of plant foods, being you know vegetables, legumes, whole grains, nuts, seeds, and fruits, uh, including a, a variety of these foods. And then how I sort of go about structuring that is. Um, I do a bit of like a, a plate guideline or a, um, a meal guideline for how people should put their meals together and generally uh, it's half the plate being fruit and vegetables, um, a quarter of the plate being a whole grain or carbohydrate like potato or sweet potato, starchy, starchy vegetable and then a quarter of the plate being from a plant protein being um, typically legumes, tofu um, and that sort of that sort of uh, protein food and then snacking on whole foods as well so your snacks will be where you get in some extra nuts and seeds um, maybe some fruit and then the only sort of difference is that that's more of a structure for um, lunch and dinner it's a bit easier to follow that format for breakfast not everybody's going to have half a plate of vegetables <laughs> so um, generally having more fruit in in the morning and um, whole grain being oats or whatever and then um, protein source in the morning, you can look more towards nuts and seeds, adding some, you know, nut butter into your porridge or uh, even just sprinkling nuts on your on your porridge or cereal and then, you know, a teaspoon of seeds over there as well. Yeah, fantastic. And everything you've just said, the the guidelines with, with how to go about a plant-based diet is exactly how I approach my diet. Yeah. I literally Sounds just like had a whole big bowl of oats before yeah. with two tablespoons of peanut butter because I love it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, thanks for clearing that up and making me feel like I'm hitting the, hitting the nail <laughs> there. there nice. Jacob. Awesome, dude. And you touched on it before, some, some snacks for a vegan. People typically try and create these masterpieece for every meal and then when it comes to snack time, they... They don't know what to have. So what are some snacks that yeah. people want a plant-based diet? Um, I'm pretty, uh, I guess, lazy with my snacks. They'll generally just be um, the pieces of fruit or I'll sometimes I'll just put a little Tupperware with some um, so walnuts, pumpkin seeds, maybe a bit of dried figs or dried fruit in there as well. Or a bit of, um, you know, I eat some vegan dark chocolate here and there and sprinkle that through the trail mix um, sort of thing. And then I guess you don't have to be that fancy, but you can can just eat whole foods and just conveniently packaged ones. Fruit's pretty perfect for that. Um, you can, you know, if you want to, you can make some, maybe some like um, rice cakes or uh, crackers or something with um, tomato, that sort of thing, if you're, if you're feeling very peckish and wanting something savoury. Um, but generally just trying to eat a conveniently transportable uh, whole food plant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you, can, you can, people make like uh, chia puddings. I'm not much of a... Uh, cook or chef in that regard um i don't i normally just eat easy to eat foods but you know if you want to make a little chair pudding or something if you're going to be able to transport it with you and go ahead <laughs> fantastic dude and yeah nature gives us enough enough food yeah. so let's let's use it yeah. dude um i want to get into more about this plant-based plant-based diet and chronic disease and for athletes now a lot of people say that may use it as an excuse saying they've got a you know chronic disease they're taking medications they can't adopt this sort of way way of living so can you clear up all the misconceptions about people with chronic disease and is it bad for people to to adopt that diet um depends on the chronic disease but most people most common chronic diseases are going to be uh, you know diabetes uh, cardiovascular disease high blood pressure and a plant-based role is uh, you know 
perfect for these sorts of conditions. All, all it will do is improve your, you know, your, your biomarkers, it'll improve your cholesterol, improve your blood sugar control, uh, you know, probably help with your um, body composition and uh, weight loss. But uh, if you have maybe some specific uh, bowel issues, it might be a bit more uh, difficult, might have to be a bit more planned and getting some dietitian input on uh, which plant foods um, to include. But it is possible. Um, there's, there's low FODMAP diets for people with IBS that you can do plant-based. I do. I work with IBS and do those sorts of things for people. Um, maybe in the case of like Crohn's disease and that sort of thing, it might be an issue of causing you know a lot of distress and that sort of thing. And I guess that is the one the one sort of case that it might be just difficult to meet somebody's nutrition requirements if they can't have many plant foods. But you know most people that have the, the standard body and the standard, you know, digestive tract can function perfectly from plant-based foods. Awesome, yeah. dude. Hit the nail on the head. And I guess in retrospect, you'll see a dietitian if you're concerned about it. That would yeah. clear everything up. Yeah. Don't consult Dr. Google. Go see a real <laughs> professional. Yeah. Dr. Google getting a lot of traffic these yeah. days. I'll tell you what. what about athletes, Jacob? I know some people might steer away from, the, from it because they're training for something or how can a plant-based yeah. diet benefit um, that? Uh, well, first of all, there's a lot of very successful athletes that do eat a plant-based diet. Some of the, like there's strongmen, there's endurance athletes, there's just sports players like cricketers and football players that are all thriving on a plant-based diet. It can can be um, off-putting for some people that are already eating a very large energy requirement for the, to meet their demands for their sport and then, you know, switching to the plant-based diet, they might initially uh, struggle with some digestive issues that impact their, their sport, say, for long distance runner or something starts having um, more fiber from legumes that sort of thing they might get a bit more stress that impacts their run but it's something that you know everyone can transition to this you just got to navigate those early adaptations to the to the gut and um, it's it's pretty possible for everybody to, to thrive especially as an athlete you can get all those nutrients from from plants and also you know probably benefit your, your health long term um, I don't think I don't think I could I don't think I would struggle to plan a diet for somebody eating you know, four or 5,000 calories if, if they needed to eat plant-based. I could definitely put that together. Maybe maybe somebody with limited nutrition knowledge might struggle, but that's when you can get... And if you're an athlete and you're somebody concerned about your performance and your health, uh, why wouldn't you have a, a professional on, on your side to help you with that? Um, so, yeah, I guess that's just a bit of an excuse, especially when it comes to like people interested in physique and uh, body composition. Uh, when you... They, they often say, you know, I, I need my protein uh, or I won't, you know, I'll lose all my muscle mass. And it's like you look into the, the world of bodybuilding, there's tons of already successful vegan bodybuilders, people that have been uh, vegetarian for their entire lives, vegan for their whole lives. My Delgado, Tori Washington, all these guys that are, um, have incredibly muscular, lean physiques and they get all their protein from plants. It's not that hard to do um, once you know where they come from. And, you know, when people try to justify these... Uh, animal protein focused diets, they probably have no idea of what their protein requirements actually are and what they're going to benefit from. Uh, you know, the science science shows anywhere from like 1.6 to 2.2 grams per kilo is enough to provide the maximal benefit of protein for muscle gain. And that's very easy to achieve on a, on a plant-based diet for anybody eating, you know, moderate amount of calories. So if you, if you want to transition to a plant-based diet, plant diet and you're scared about your gains, just uh, you know, look look more into it. Google vegan bodybuilders, YouTube vegan bodybuilders, see what they eat, and then 
it's quite easy to do. Yeah, definitely. And the Nimai Delgado and Tor Washington are absolute animals and they yeah. eat only plants. So they're thriving as well as athletes like Lewis Hamilton is arguably the best F1 driver in the world, adopts a plant-based diet. We've got Peter Siddle, plays cricket for Australia. We've got footballers, um, AFL players, Chris Mayne adopts a plant-based diet. So there's athletes that are thriving at the top level. There's no reason why the everyday person can't. Yeah, yeah can't especially the non-competitive athlete. Exactly <laughs> right. so much better performance. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Awesome, dude. Thanks for reeling that off for us. And I know at the moment in the fitness industry and obviously the the nutritional industry as well, there's a lot of screaming about a ketogenic diet. I, I really don't understand the ketogenic diet. Um, I want to get your take on it. Yeah. What, what, what is a ketogenic diet first beneficial for and then why can it cause detriment to our health? Uh, I guess a ketogenic diet is it's a type of low-carbohydrate diet that puts your body into a, a state of ketogenesis where you start um, oxidizing more fats and using more fats for fuel. So a lot of people uh, will think this is a good way to lose fat because they're going to be you know, using fat for fuel primarily and they won't be intaking carbohydrates. But... When it comes to um, long-term health, keto doesn't have long-term evidence showing it's uh, you know health in the long term, especially uh, compared to a plant-based diet that has a ton of research showing you know long-term health being uh, substantially better than a, a standard American diet um, or standard Western diet, I should say. Um, and then keto does not have this long-term support, and you're also limiting the amount of foods you can have on a ketogenic diet. You're limiting a lot of uh, really healthy foods. You're limiting like most plant foods. Uh, you're limiting you know grains, fruits, legumes. You're limiting all these foods that have tons of good nutritional value in them. Uh, it you know ketogenic might be equally as good as a you know calorie controlled uh, plant based diet for fat loss. It's probably not better, which is you know why stick to it if it's not better. It's it's just just another fat diet that's it's come around. It's been around for decades. It was originally introduced to manage epilepsy, and you know it does work for that. And that's the one case where it does it does provide benefit. It can reduce you know the the problems with epilepsy, like reducing the amount of fits people have. Um, but for somebody who cares about their health and their their body composition, it's not a better choice. Like you might you might successfully lose fat on a ketogenic diet. Doesn't mean you wouldn't have lost fat on a plant based diet. Doesn't mean you wouldn't have lost fat if you got your nutrients from somewhere else. Like it's just. A matter of you were in a calorie deficit, you lost the fat. It's not. It's no magic. There's no magic to ketosis or ketogenic diets. Awesome, Jacob. And when you eliminate the this whole food group, being carbohydrates from your diet or restricting your your intake there, when you introduce them, what happens to your body? And I know that people, from my research as well, the, the body just goes into whack and it doesn't know how to process this. What happens? Well, I, I guess when most people will will lose, um, will start keto, they'll lose. Um, their body stores of carbohydrates. We keep carbohydrates in our muscle spores and our liver as uh, glycogen, and then with that glycogen comes a bunch of water. So when people lose lose the weight um, with keto, they're just losing this water stores as well. So they might lose fat and they lose these extra few kilos of water stores, and they'll think, "Oh, I lost heaps of weight doing keto. It works so well." Introduce carbohydrates, the glycogen stores fill back up straight away, and you you know gain that four or five kilos straight back. Uh, I'm not sure too much about um, how it works with our, you know, carbohydrate tolerance or insulin resistance and these sorts of things. That's not something I've um, spent a lot of time researching. I don't really give ketogenic diets too much of a, uh, a thought. <laughs> like, it's obviously they're not necessary, and they're just it's just a, 
a weird dietary protocol that most people shouldn't even think about. Yeah, fantastic, dude. And I know um, I'm doing a lot of research about the keto diet as well because I'm getting a lot of clients asking me questions about it. So I want to be want be able to give them an yeah. answer that they can understand as well. And I had this question the other day about ketogenesis and and diabetes, and and I actually listened to a podcast that day, ironically, with with Simon Hill and Plant Proof, and he was saying that when you're on diabetes and and they tell you to diabetes is insulin resistance or yeah or, yeah, anyway. versa, yeah. yeah yeah um and he was saying that introducing eliminating the carbohydrates ultimately can help the the diabetes but it's just a band-aid fix it doesn't reverse it whereas yeah. a plant-based diet has been evidently proved to reverse uh, reverse diabetes yeah yeah like the insulin resistance comes comes from you know having excess adipose tissue in our bodies ability to uh, how diabetes works is our our body's ability to um, use and produce insulin gets compromised and insulin is what controls our blood sugar levels so when we we aren't able to um, use our insulin or uh, produce enough insulin our blood sugar levels get a lot higher and this can cause a whole range of issues uh, long term having those uh, excess blood sugars in our body that can cause you know uh, people will lose their lose their limbs due to Due to problems, they'll lose uh, you know, vision problems, and then you know it can cause just you know deadly deadly outcomes. So, how the ketogenic diet would work would probably just be limiting the the, the glucose that the insulin has to control. It wouldn't be improving the insulin function, or wouldn't be dealing with the insulin resistance per se. Yeah. yeah, awesome, dude. Fantastic. Thank you so much for addressing all those issues and giving a, a perspective from a professional in the field about this. And I know. We were chatting before the podcast about credibility and how you can do all this research and, and really find anything to back up your argument. But when you've you've done the study, you know what you're doing. Then yeah. it's it's great to hear um, your perspective and and the evidence behind that as well. Now, Jacob, taking a bit of a left field approach. Now, I know there's a lot of conflicting opinions about coffee and, and what it does to us and the benefits of it. Ra ra ra. What's your take on coffee and and is it good for us? Uh, I'm not sure if it's exactly. I wouldn't say it's bad for you. I'm not sure if there's uh, too many health benefits uh, long term. It has obviously been consumed for decades, like hundreds of years. Coffee has been a part of people's diets all around the world. So it's obviously safe for human consumption. It has obvious, obvious roles in um, just making you feel more alert and more uh, energetic. And that can benefit somebody for productivity or even in sports performance. Caffeine's are, are known to improve performance in certain sports um, from a health point of view as long as it doesn't cause you any issues whether it causes IBS issues for some people or you know it's a gut irritant it can cause problems for some people like that um, it also can trigger some anxiety it can imp impact people's sleep these are some reasons why you might avoid it but if you are somebody who you know enjoys caffeine enjoys coffee uh, and it doesn't cause negative health out uh, outcomes then then go ahead and include it in your diet there's absolutely no reason why you should avoid it um, one other thing is that caffeine is a, is a stimulant, so it can, you know, help you, um, have a bit more energy when you're feeling low. The only thing would be, uh, acknowledging the reasons that are making you feel fatigued. If you, you know, if you're iron deficient and using caffeine to get you through the day, you're relying on, you know, five or six or seven cups of coffee just to keep your energy levels up, you know, address the issues that are making you feel fatigued, whether it's a lack of sleep, whether it's, um, a nutritional issue or, you know, excessive workload if you're training or excessive workload in life, excessive stress, address these issues before you, um, you know, rely on caffeine to, to bring you up. But the caffeine itself is 
It's perfectly, perfectly good for you. Fantastic, dude. And who, who doesn't love going out for coffee? It's a typical Melbourne thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually one of the people that get a bit uh, impacted in my sleep with coffee, though. So, Watch your uh, intake later. Yeah, in the I have to have it early in the day and yeah. only a small amount. Uh, it could be psychological. I have no idea. But when I, when I have coffee... I will take me a bit longer to settle down and yeah. wind down to get sleep. So. Yeah, I'm the complete opposite. I can have a coffee, coffee. Have a coffee before yeah. bed and, get, and go to bed. Obviously, it does it still affect your sleep on a chemical level, yeah. but for me, I don't really get those those effects straight away. Yeah. I don't have a coffee before bed. I've just tried and tested on the weekend before, so that's why. <laughs> Not going to promote that just before sleep, guys, just yeah. to add in there. Um, Jacob, man, thank you so much for everything you've you've gone over today. I love having a discussion about this with, with heaps of different people and it's important to recognise your, your perspective on it as well. Yeah. What's your main message, mate? What gets you out of bed every day? Uh, what gets me out of bed every day? I guess a lot of things. But my main, my main uh, message plans with my, my work and my, what I spend my time on is to uh, you know, encourage and support plant-based eating. It's, uh, it seems essential at the moment for our, our world to adopt a more plant-based diet as our population increases and our current uh, you know, agricultural system being animal product heavy is you know, not only ethically questionable with the amount of animals that are going through uh, tra- trauma and death every day, it's billions of animals a year that go through this, but from an environmental per, uh, point of view, the amount of resources that are used to produce food when we could just eat more plant-based and uh, have such an improvement in our ecological footprint. That's sort of the main drivers behind my thing. And then I guess, you know, having my nutrition background, I'm just trying to put as much good nutrition information out there as I can and uh, be one of the voices that are the voices of reason that are uh, help supporting the plant-based movement. Fantastic, dude, and you're you're definitely doing that for sure. I want to dive into the plant potential. So, what are you doing with with the plant potential? Firstly, what is it, and what are your plans for the future? Yeah, the plant potential is my uh, business. I guess I do uh, in the plant potential. I do uh, online consultations, nutrition consultations, and you know, I do training programs and stuff for people uh, online, mainly for um, you know people doing weight training. That's my sort of expertise, uh, getting people in shape. If that's their if that's their goal, I also do you know some di- uh, dietetics work in in a clinic, looking at you know chronic disease and chronic disease management. Uh, I also do personal training as part of that business. Um, but the, most of what I do is really uh, content creation and nutrition information in a in a wider in a wider reach on Instagram, and uh, I'll be getting more and more into YouTube and Instagram. Hopefully, as as time goes on, it's just something I'm sort of dipping my feet in. Uh, I do spend a lot of time creating resources and um, researching, and I use a lot of those resources in my practice. Whether it be you know my uh, vegan nutrition guide that I have that I use with a lot of my clients, I will eventually um, roll that out. Whether it be as an ebook product, might even release it for free just to have that information out there. Um, it's never really been a, a money-making <laughs> scheme. I'm just trying to really put out good information, good ed- education. And um, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I do with the plant potential. And the plans are to, you know, uh, predominantly uh, practice online consultations and online content creation so that I, I can work from anywhere in the world. And hopefully when the plant potential is doing well, I can uh, get on the road and go see more of the world and uh, continue providing nutrition information online and maybe even doing seminars and that sort of thing around the world. But yeah, big plans, but 
Chipping away at them. There's massive potential there. Pardon the pun, guys. I absolutely love the name as well, dude. It's just highlighting their potential that someone can get, whether their reasons are from a plant-based diet, potential people can get from a plant-based diet, whether their reasons are environmental, ethically, or or health reasons as well. Jacob, coming to the end of the podcast now, mate, where can we reach you and where can someone get in contact if they want to set up a consultation? Yeah, uh, Instagram is my, my main platform of operation. I do have a website and a YouTube channel, but Instagram's the sort of hub from where I interact with people the most. So, at the plant potential on Instagram, just send me a DM. Like that's how we arrange. That's how I arrange my um, consultations. I'm very flexible with my consult times. You know, I work mainly for myself and on my own business, so I have a lot of different times available for different people all across Australia, even across the world. I don't know if they have any. International listeners on the Euphoria podcast. Yeah, there's a couple over there. So <laughs> yeah, well, we're talking guys... to you. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are sitting over there listening. Definitely contact Jacob as well. It's not specific to Australia. Yeah. Dude, unreal, mate. I wish you all the best in what you're doing, and, and I love the message that you're spreading, Jacob. So thank you so much for your time today, mate. No worries. Thanks for the pleasure. I love talking about nutrition and plant-based nutrition. So Yeah, yeah definitely. Time. We'll have to get another podcast in the works as well, talking about more specific nutritional things. Yeah, so. definitely. Awesome. See you here. And that's this week's dose of Euphoria. Connect with myself and the Euphoria Health community on Instagram or Facebook at Euphoria Health. Through these channels, you'll find cool workouts, plant-based recipes and daily challenges. Until next time, guys, I'm your host, Matt Zapala, And remember, don't settle for anything less than Euphoria.